The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Amen. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Do we believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. And that's what we're here to celebrate. I am super excited to be here this morning with you guys, and I'm really excited to be able to preach this text. This is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture where we get a glimpse of what church is really supposed to look like, and uh, I love it. So Acts chapter 2, we're in part 2 of the We Are Fellowship series and we're going to be right back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So if you've got a Bible, flip on over there. If you've got your phone, pull it out and get in the app and get that going. Make sure you stay in the app and not texting or surfing Facebook. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So uh, last week, Julian started this series, and he started with the part where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And he talked about the fact that that the church, when it's done right, what it's supposed to look like is that we are rooted in the Word of God. We're rooted in Scripture. That becomes our foundation of who we are, right? And so uh, last week he, he talked about the fact that he's, he knows families within our church who are kind of crazy and do stuff with aunts and uncles and cousins and go out to eat all the time with that. And who he's talking about is our family, okay? He didn't want to throw us under the bus, I guess, last week, but that is totally our family. When there's birthday parties or whatever, we always go out to eat with this big uh, ordeal, and it's uncles and cousins and the whole deal. And the reason for that is for our family, family's huge. Family's huge for us. It's always been that way. And in my mind, there are some things that just naturally coincide with family. When I think of family, there's a few things that just naturally go along with that. And one of those things is unity, right? When you think of family, you should think of unity. Now, sometimes there's conflict within family, right? But at the end of the day, we're united because we're family, right? Uh, At home, we have four kids. And uh, once we reached three, and especially four, we realized that we're outnumbered. Because there's only two adults, and there's four of them, right? And so what we learned very quick is it became us against them, because we can't fight one-on-one, one against four. It has to be at least two against the other four. And so we became very united, and Becca and I always try to present a united front with the kids, right? If Becca says no to something, then they come and ask me. The answer's no, right? And when I was a kid, I got a spanking for that. But uh, the answer's no, right? So we present a united front. Uh, so unity is, is, is part of that family dynamic. Another thing that I think of is generosity, right? When we're family, we're generous with one another. I know that if I needed anything right now, I could call just about any one of my family members and they would give it to me. They would give it to me just like that. Um, I, I, when we moved from Lumberton back to Nederland, the timing of closing on the Lumberton house and closing on the Nederland house was a little off. And it was a little bit off in the midst of teen camp and kids camp and so we closed on our house in Lumberton right before camp season started and we didn't close on our Nederland house until the end of camp so there was this like couple of week period where it was just mass chaos and we had all of this stuff that we had to do something with in the midst of that and so my brother has 
Uh, he had just recently bought a house and has this three-bay metal fab shop that he had been just dreaming of his whole life to have, right? To put all his stuff in, his, uh, he, he has this dream of having a boat and putting it in there, which he, he got one, but he doesn't run. And then he's got just like every other boat in southeast Texas, right? And he's side by side in there and his lawnmower and all this stuff. He had, all, he had this dream of filling each of those bays up with some stupid toy, right? And, uh, and so, but he allowed us to basically use his shop as a storage facility for like three weeks, right? And he let us put, I mean, we took up all of the bays. It was just all of our stuff. And so he couldn't even use his shop for like three weeks, right? And it's because family's generous, Right? And, and it's to the point to where, like, you can't really say no when it's family, right? You can't, like, how, I knew that he couldn't really say no. And not only that, but he let my dog stay at his house for those three weeks, and she is disgusting. And so uh, it was really nice of him to do that. So family is generous. And, and then the last thing I want to point out is that family is faithful, right? Family is faithful to one another. Uh, whenever we were young and, and right out, right out of, uh, you just got married, our family, like I said, does all of this meeting together stuff, right? We, we have parties all the time and birthday parties. And uh, it was just kind of like overwhelming whenever we were kind of new in, in, our, in our marriage and we were new in ministry. And so I kind of like put that on the back burner and wasn't really going to some of the family things and not making it a priority like I should. Wasn't faithful to get together with family. And uh, I remember making a comment about something on Facebook uh, harassing my mom, which is what I love to do, and uh, I made some kind of comment, and my, my mom's cousin got on there and just kind of got on to me about not making family a priority, and he said, one day you're going to realize how important family is, and you're going to miss these opportunities that you're giving up, and that's totally true, totally true. Now that I've kind of gotten older and got kids of my own, family's important, right? Family is, is very important, and, and making time for family is very important. Family's special, and as, as much as family has always been huge for us, for our family, our church family has been just absolutely life-transforming. There's so many stories I could tell you about being a member of this church my whole life, of how it's impacted my life, but it would take us years to go through all of those stories. Um, we grew up here. I have a graphic uh, of, of the actual card. We have, we have the cards from any decision that's ever been made. There's a filing cabinet back there, and you can just go dig through it and find out any decision that you've ever made, right? And so I found this card. This is the card that my family filled out, my mom and dad, back in 1992 when they decided to join Fellowship Baptist Church. And uh, I think I was in first grade at that point, and uh, ever since then, our family has been involved in Fellowship Baptist Church. Um, and so I grew up here, I served here, um, in fact, was right out of high school, was youth minister here for five years, and then I uh, felt like God was calling us to go uh, to another ministry, Calvary Baptist in Beaumont, served at their Lumberton campus for eight years. And, uh, you know, I 100% believe that God was in that move. Um, I, I, I know that, that God grew, grew me in that process and had the ability to grow a ministry there and, and gain some experience. Uh, but at the end of the day, my church family was here because I am fellowship, right? And that, that was always the case. I am fellowship. I surrendered a ministry here. I got married here in the old red carpet building with the red pews, right? You guys remember that? Red carpet, red building. I got married over there. In fact, we were the last wedding that took place in that building over there. 
We got married here. I started a ministry here. I made friends here that are like brothers to this day. People that are as close to me as, as a brother, like Josh Dombrowski and Danny Whipple and Casey Bruff, guys that I've grown up with my whole life that, that we're, we're, we're basically like brothers. Part of who I am is rooted in the community here at Fellowship. And in our text in Acts, what we see in the early church is this type of community. It's this type of knitting, knitting of hearts where they were a family, and it was obvious. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then it says, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the word fellowship there in the original language is the word koinonia. And you may have, if you've grown up in church at any point in time, you may have heard the word koinonia before, and you've probably heard it uh, uh, kind of compared to the word community, that koinonia just means community. And that is true, but the word literally translates to participation. Not just community, but participation. Um, I have this really bad habit, and I know it's a bad habit, and I'm trying to like get it under control and, and repent of it and, and keep, get people to keep me accountable of it. But I have this really bad habit of being engaged in my phone too much, right? And it, it kind of stems from the fact that if I get a notification on my phone and it's got that little red badge that says one or however many notifications it is, I'm OCD about it. It drives me absolutely crazy to see a notification on my phone. I have to clear it. And, and so if I get a notification, I pull my phone out immediately and try to clear that out. The problem with that is that I'm a typical man and I cannot do two things at one time. Right, So I can't look at the notification or the email, the text, the Facebook notification, whatever it is. I can't look at that and then also be present with what's going on around me. Right, So this gets me in trouble whenever I'm spending time with my wife. Right, I'm spending time with my wife. I'm supposed to be present in listening to what she has to say. But if I get a notification and put my phone, I'm not really present. Right, And, and, and if I'm in spending time with my kids, supposed to be playing with them or, or whatever... I get a notification, I pull up my phone, no longer am I actually present. I'm in the room, but I'm not really present. And it even happens sometimes in staff meetings where we're sitting around talking about vision and doing what we want to do. And then I get a notification and no longer am I present in the, in the staff meeting, right? I'm physically in the room, but I'm not really there. There's a lot of people that are physically present at church, but they're not really there. They're not in a growth group. They're not serving in any capacity. They're not giving. They may be supporting the mission of fellowship in word, right? We love fellowship. We support fellowship. But they're not supporting fellowship in action. They're here, but they're not really here. They're consuming, but they're not really participating. And that is not what church is supposed to be, right? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the participation. They were devoted to participate in the community that they had. That's not what church is supposed to be like. If that's all church is, listen, there are as good or better preachers on the internet, right? If church is literally just about what we do right now in this one hour together, our worship band is awesome, but there are people that like make millions of dollars making worship songs. You can listen to them on Spotify. You can go listen to the best preachers on the internet. If it's, if it's just down to what we're doing right now, the product can be better online. But if it's about something more, then what we're doing here means something more. 
for the early church, they devoted themselves to koinonia. Not just attendance, but participation. And listen, that's what I want for myself because I've experienced it over the many years of being part of fellowship. But that's what I want for you too. Because I know that when you experience that, it will radically change your life. It will radically change your life when you are part of a body that's doing life together. It will change your life. It will change your family's life. It will change your kid's life radically. So they devoted themselves to koinonia, but they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. So what does that mean? So when I first read the breaking of bread, my automatic thought was potluck. They started potluck right off of the beginning, and they were doing ministry right, and that's how it was supposed to be, right? But then I kind of did some digging in the language, and I don't think that that's what it's talking about. I think specifically what it's talking about is communion and doing Lord's Supper together, okay? So they, they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper, uh, which is this, this corporate, right? We're all together. It's this corporate focused on Christ, where we align our hearts together, we focus on the sacrifice that was made in Christ, and, and, and it's this time where we get together and we focus our hearts on Christ. He becomes the center of our thinking and our focus as a body. And I'm pretty excited. March 4th, on a Wednesday night, we're going to be doing that coming up soon. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper together, where we gather together as believers and we focus our hearts on Christ. It says, the breaking of bread and prayer. So prayer is, yes, a corporate focus on Christ, right? Julian just prayed, and we all focused our hearts in on the words that he was saying and hopefully prayed in our hearts as well and focused our hearts on the person of Christ. But it says, but, but prayer is also an individual focus on Christ, right? When we get in our prayer closet at home and we focus our hearts on Christ, we spend time in prayer. So, so it's, it's this focus on Christ. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Listen, I want nothing more in life right now than to see God do a crazy, amazing, unbelievable work within our church. That's, that's what I want to see. I'm hungry for it. In fact, I'm starving for it. I lay awake at night thinking about how God is going to use fellowship to radically change Nederland and the surrounding areas. I just know he's going to do it. I believe it, and I can see it. But I also know that that's not going to happen until we focus our hearts on Christ and bow before the King of Kings and spend time in prayer begging God for a work. That's not going to happen until we start to do that, until we focus ourselves individually first, but then corporately together on Christ. I've noticed the past few weeks, people praying at the altars before the service. It's pretty cool. Because traditionally, people pray at the altars in the invitation after church, right? Get their heart right with God. But it's cool to see people kneeling at the altars in prayer, asking God for a movement in the service. That's going to usher in the power of God. Why? Because prayer centers our koinonia, our participation on Christ. They didn't participate for the sake of participation. Their fellowship, their koinonia was Christ-centered. Every year we do this trip called Mission Arlington. You guys have heard us talk about it. And we're actually training for it right now. We have a training meeting today for the team that's going today at 3. And my favorite part about Mission Arlington is, is that 
it's, it's not just like a normal youth event, right? Youth events are fun and, and, and great, uh, but, but sometimes they're just youth events, right? You go bowling, you go play laser tag or whatever teenagers like to do, and, and you schedule some kind of activity that, 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 that they want to do just to hang out and build some community. But what I love about Mission Arlington is it's not just community for community's sake, right? It's, it's that they're focusing their hearts on Christ and the mission and purpose of Christ of, of reaching people for God's kingdom. And then they work together to accomplish that goal and then they see God move. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that we do that, that, that impacts their lives and builds a community and knits their hearts together like Mission Arlington. Why? Because it's not just community for community's sake. It's, it's community built on the focus on Christ. Christ-centered community. For the early church, Christ was the center of their lives. That's evident in their devotion to Scripture, like Julian talked about last week, their devotion to the Lord's Supper, and their devotion to prayer. So we know what koinonia looks like, right? We know what participation looks like. We know that koinonia must be centered on Christ for it to be meaningful. So how do we know if we're living in it? How do we know if we're living in Christ-centered community? How do we gauge that? Well, just like with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's fruit, right? We've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's the song that you learn about when you're a little kid, right? There's, there's fruit so that we can know if God's Spirit is living in someone, but there's also fruit that we can see if a church is Christ-centered. If they're, if they're living in Christ-centered community, there's fruit that, that will be produced, right? And some of these may look familiar. These are the ones that I spoke about family earlier. Number one, verse 44, the first fruit that we see is, is unity. It says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They were together and they held all things in common. All right, so because Jesus was the center of everything, they were together and held all things in common. So the word together there literally just means proximity. Like we're together right now. We're in the same room. They were together in proximity. And then the word the, the, the phrase, all things in common, just means that they were together in focus. So these people were together in proximity, but they were also together in, in their focus and where they were headed and what they were trying to accomplish. So let's get some context for what's going on here. We know that, that before we get this text in Acts 2, we see where the Holy Spirit comes down like tongues of fire, right, on top of the apostles, and they start speaking in their native language, and people from all around start understanding. We see in verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites... Those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, in Asia, Parisia, in Pamphylia, Egypt, in, in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. So here's the point of that. Held all things in common doesn't mean there weren't differences, right? These people are radically different culturally. So there were differences, but what it does mean is that when Christ is the center of our community, we will be united because everything else doesn't matter. 
When, we're, when our focus is Jesus and Christ's mission, then all the other stinking differences that we have don't matter. There aren't arguments about the style of music, what color things are painted, or how long the worship leader's beard is. I'm just joking, Julian. The truth is, I'm just jealous because I can't even grow a mustache. So um, that's all it is. When, when Christ is the sinner, then we aren't. If Christ is the sinner, then we aren't, and we recognize that it isn't about us and our preferences. It's about him and his purpose. When Christ is the sinner, then it's all about Christ. And it's all about his mission. Julie and I have become really good friends over the past couple of years. Um, like, really good friends. We obviously talk every day because we work in the same office, but even, like, on Saturdays we hang out and text a lot back and forth. And it's kind of a unique thing because we're very different. Like, very different. Our experiences in life couldn't be further di- from, from different, right? Like, he's one place and I'm way over here in this other place and growing up our our experiences were very different we have very different personalities right if you've hung out with Julian long enough you you, you've learned some of his personalities he's like super outgoing and and really relational and he's also uh he's also a little bit disorganized sometimes and and but then I'm on the opposite side where like I'm focused on details like I think when we're planning an event all I think about is all the little details that go along with that event and can we even make that happen Right, and he's like, "This vision, awesome idea, let's do it." And I'm like, "Well, hold on, okay, we gotta get all this stuff right." And so our personalities are very different. We're very different people, but we're united. We're brothers. Why? Because all of that other stuff doesn't matter. Our hearts are knitted together towards the advancement of the gospel. We both love Jesus, and we both want to see Jesus move in this church, and so we can get together over tacos and dream and envision and, and love that discussion of, of where we're headed because that's our focus. When Christ is the center, we become united. So they were united. They were also generous. Let's look down a little bit further. It says they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Because Jesus was the center of everything, they sold their possessions and property. When Jesus is the center of our lives, then our finances become less about our comfort and enjoyment and more about him and his purpose. Our finances become less about our enjoyment and more about him and his purpose. Sermons on giving should never be about church budget. Never. When we talk about giving, it should never be about, we've got to make budget, we've got to make budget, we've got to make budget, you should give, we committed to this budget, you should give. That's not what it should be about. I'm fully confident that God controls all the money in the world, and he can move it around at will, right? He could drop a million dollars in our bucket tomorrow. I'm praying that he does. (laughs) He could do that. But it's not about the money. It's never been about the money. It never should be about the money. Giving isn't as much about meeting the budget of the church as it, as it is about being a part 
of the mission and purpose of God. Rather than viewing giving as a responsibility, we should view it as a privilege to be part of what God is doing in people's lives. When we view it as a have to, then yeah, it's like, man, it's just another bill, right? It's another bill I gotta write. I gotta pay my energy bill, I gotta pay my gas bill, I gotta pay my church bill. If that's your focus, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But if your focus is, I get to be part of what God is doing in fellowship and around the community that we're in, then it's like, man, here, have it all, right? Because I want to be part of what God is doing in and around what we got going on here. When Christ is a sinner, giving is not a problem. Around Christmas time, the mixed class did a really cool activity. And uh, they, they went and they, they collected their money together and, and went to Walmart and blessed a single mother who's a teacher who has several kids and gave a bunch so that the kids could have a Christmas. And the cool part about that, I wasn't there, but Julian was telling me about it. The cool part about that was it wasn't about the money for these people. They were, they were leaning over each other trying to put their card in the cashier's hand so they could pay for it, and they ended up having more money than what they needed because it wasn't about the money, it was about the vision right? It was about loving on someone who needed to be loved on and showing them the person of Christ. And the way that they were able to do that in that particular instance was through giving. When we give generously to fellowship individually, right, because it starts individually, it allows us to corporately meet the spiritual and physical needs of people within our church and those outside of our walls. That's why we give. Not so that we can meet church budget, but so that we can have an impact on the kingdom of God. Let's look back at the text. Notice it didn't say they gave their 10%. You see that? It doesn't say that they gave their 10% and then distributed it to those who had need. What does it say? It says that they sold their stuff. What would it be like if we got a heart like that for, for, for the ministry of God? What if we started selling land that we had so that we can meet people's needs? What if we started selling our boat that never runs? I'm going to take a loss on it because it doesn't run, but what if we started selling our things and stopped viewing our resources as personal enjoyment and start viewing our resources as a tool to advance God's kingdom? Tithing is good and important. But what we're talking about here is sacrificial giving, right? This is radical generosity, right? Right now, me just talking about you selling something probably has you kind of like, oh, I don't know about all that, right? That's, that's a little hardcore. That's what church is supposed to be like. And if your first impression is to push back from that, then maybe it's time to, to kneel before God and, and recognize that you may have a little bit too tight of a grip on your resources, When we're living in Christ-centered koinonia, generosity becomes part of our culture. We don't have to have conversations about budget because it's not about that. It's about living for the purpose of loving God and loving others. And when we do that, it includes our finances. The final fruit that I want to point out from this text is faithfulness. It says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread 
from house to house. When we're living in Christ-centered community, faithfulness to that community becomes a priority. When we're living in Christ-centered community, faithfulness to that community becomes part of who we are. Um, There's this controversial article that's been going around. And, you know, my focus has kind of been student ministry for the past 15 years. And, And this article has a lot to do with that because what it talks about is parents involving their kids in sports that pull them away from church on Sunday. And it's gotten kind of controversial because the, the, the argument that they're making is that, that when parents pull, that, that statistically parents who are pulling their kids away from church for Sunday sports, those, those kids are leaving the church at rapid rates. And uh, you can make your own assessment on whether that's true or not. That's not the point of what I'm trying to make. The, the point is that the problem isn't sports. Sports are cool, they're fun for people who like them, not me, but people who enjoy them. Sports are cool and fun. The problem is priorities. Listen, we have a spiritual need for Christ-centered koinonia. We have, God's wired you that way. He's put something in your heart to, to desire and need this Christ-centered community that we're talking about. There's a problem, though, when we try to fill that God-given need with outside sources. There's nothing wrong with community outside the church. There's nothing wrong with being involved in sports. There's nothing wrong with being involved in, you know, outside organizations. Those are all good. But it becomes a problem when those things take, a, take us away from the Christ-centered community that we're wired to live in. When the priority becomes those things above Christ-centered community, then that becomes a problem. Because we're trying to fulfill this God-given need with something that we love more than what God wired us to, to, to fulfill that need with. Hebrews 10.24-25, this is a text that pastors always use when they're talking about faithfulness. It says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. I like how that text starts off with, let us consider one another. Like our motivation for church attendance isn't just us, it's that we can participate and give, right? We have a responsibility back to the body and we get to be part of that. And so that's our motivation for faithfulness. When we're living in Christ-centered community, we're going to be faithful to meeting together. It's just how it is. And it's not about the one-hour meeting on Sunday, right? This is awesome. I look forward to what we're doing right now every single week, worshiping together, opening the word together, hearing from uh, the word together. I enjoy that every week. But this isn't the end-all, be-all of what church is. This is just, this should just be a celebration of what God's doing through our community, We've made this the definition of church, and this is not biblically the definition of church. The biblical definition of church is Christ-centered community. It's about participation. It's about accountability and advancing God's kingdom together as a united body of Christ. So we are fellowship. 
That's our name. It's on the sign. We are fellowship. We are koinonia in name. Right? However many years ago that this church has started, someone thought that it's important that we build our identity around this word fellowship. We are koinonia in name, but let's, let's decide today to be fellowship in action. Let's decide today that we are going to not just attend, but that we're going to be fellowship. Let's draw a line in the sand and choose to live in Christ-centered community because that's what God told us to do, and we love God, and we want to love others because that's who we're supposed to be as believers, and let's choose to live in that together. That's the challenge this morning. We've been talking a lot about moving from just attending fellowship to becoming fellowship, and this is what that looks like. It looks like unity. It looks like generosity. And it looks like faithfulness, all built on the word of God. And so the challenge for you as God's people is to unite together and let's do church the right way. This morning, my prayer is that God is speaking to you because I promise you he's speaking to me. If you've been one to allow petty things to distract you from your need to participate in community, let it go. In comparison with the mission that God has given us, it doesn't matter. People need Jesus, and it's our mission to point people to him. Let's focus on that and let all the other stuff go. Maybe you struggle with generosity. Listen, we're not going to beg people to give here. We're just not going to do it. Why? Because it's not about money. It's about mission. And I can beg you to give. I can beg you to help support what we got going on here. But if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, then that's not helping anybody. We want you to see and engage in the mission because you love God and you love others. Not because you're checking a box, not because you're fulfilling your responsibility, but because you love God and you love other people and you want to be part of what God's doing. It doesn't help us to guilt you into it. God isn't looking for us to check boxes. He wants us to see and engage in the mission because we love him. And when we do, the natural overflow of that is that we give. We give our money to things that we love. Let's be honest. I love my wife. My wife's been asking for crawfish. So I took her last night and spent $80 on crawfish, which I love too. When we love something, we give money to it. Right, I love my kids, and I spend stupid amounts of money on them just to make them happy because I want to bless them. Right, when we love something, we give to it. It's just the natural outflow of that type of heart change. Maybe you've struggled with that, whether it's giving or giving for the wrong reasons. My prayer is that God is speaking to you this morning and changing your heart and that you're ready to participate with giving. That you see your money as a resource for building God's kingdom and not your own. Maybe you struggle with faithfulness. Listen, it's, it's hard to live in Christ-centered community and be engaged in the mission here of making and maturing disciples if you're not here on a consistent basis. Right? If it's just about attendance, then yeah, you can 
come and go as you please, but if it's about making and maturing disciples, then you have to be here to be a part of that. Maybe you struggle with faithfulness. This morning, maybe your next step is simply repenting of a divisive spirit. Maybe it's committing to be generous for the sake of kingdom building. Maybe it's committing to take the next step in faithfulness. What's your next step towards faithfulness? Maybe it's just committing to be here every week. Maybe it's kind of been your struggle is getting here every week. If you're making that decision on Sunday morning, probably not going to show up. But if it's just a decision that you're making together as a family that this is who we are, then it probably won't be a problem. Maybe you come every week, but your next step is growth group. Getting involved in, in growth group. Listen, it's, it's hard to live in Christ-centered community with this is all we're doing. But if we get into a smaller group and open up the word of God and work through it verse by verse and talk, th- talk it out and, and, and live, and there's, there's accountability in that, right? Because there's only 20 people in the room and so someone's going to know if you weren't there. If you want to take the next step towards Christ-centered community, growth group is where you need to be. In fact, I'm going to say this. I'd rather you be over there on a consistent basis than here. Because I know that if you get over there and you get involved in Christ-centered community, this will just happen. That's more important than what we're doing right now. Because that looks more like what we just read than this. This is important, don't get me wrong. This is part of what church is supposed to be like. But this isn't the part, the only part of what church is supposed to be like. The community part is, is imperative. So get involved in a growth group. Maybe your next step is getting involved in one-on-one discipleship. Maybe you're, you're new in your faith and you need someone to help you grow and, and understand the scriptures and you need some of that one-on-one uh, attention in that. We're, we're building a system for that and, and maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is serving. Maybe your next step is getting involved in some of these outreach events that, that we've been talking about in, in, in the bulletin. Maybe your next step is missions. But whatever God's speaking to you this morning, here in a moment, the band's going to come. And and the challenge is is to take that next step. Let's not just be hearers of the word of God, as James says, but let's be doers of the word of God, right? Let's let God's spirit convict us and allow him to change us, and let's take that first step towards where he's calling us to be. Maybe you don't know Christ. It's hard to live in Christ-centered community if you don't have a relationship with Christ first. That's, that's step one. And so if you don't know Christ and you want to know what that looks like, and here a moment as, as the band comes and sings, the challenge would be that you give your life to Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and become the Lord and King of your life. However, God is speaking to you this morning in a moment after we get done praying, the band's going to sing and this invitation will be open. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go. Thank you so much.